Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There's just too many good games we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this show. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk to the people who create these games, and to talk about things that are happening in the gaming world. Now, if you are a regular listener of this show, uh, you will know that I have taken a little bit of a break. I got COVID in 2022 uh, pretty badly to the tune of having to go to the emergency room and all of that fun um, that was associated with uh, the dreaded um, plague of our time. And um, a downside of that is that it, it kicked off uh, a problems with tinnitus that I'd never had before in my life. Um, and I, at the for the second half of last year, had a lot of ringing in my ears. Um, and it disappeared around Christmas time. I went to specialists. They said it was a side effect of, uh, it was a viral infection in my inner ear. It would go away. It was a side effect of COVID. And it did. Well, I got COVID again. And guess what came back? Um, and the, the, the nice doctor, I went back to the specialist, said, look, it's going to be, it's probably going to get worse when it's cold and wet. And we're in the middle of a Melbourne winter, so it's cold and wet. And uh, he said, also, if you're tired and or, you know, having too many chemicals like caffeine in your life, um, that would also exacerbate it. And, um, you know, just recovering from being sick on top of that. Well, it is the end of a report writing term in the middle of Melbourne's winter. And I was living off of sugar and caffeine until about uh, three or four days ago. So I am doing the best I can. Uh, but the good news is the ringing in my ears has dialed way down. And so now uh, I'm able to actually do the show again. And uh, I couldn't think of a better way of restarting the show than by talking about some cool things that have been happening. Um, joining me today is a gentleman who also had some pretty excellent stuff happening on the exact same day that I did. And so we're going to make an upside down joke somewhere in here, and I'm robbing his thunder by doing that. Uh, but let's talk about a bolt action event that has been happening across the world. And we can say that now because it's happened on three continents. Last year, we did speak repeatedly with our friend Alistair Unicom uh, from Scotland about the Megatron 3000 format for bolt action. And we are going to talk a little bit more about what that is in a minute. But that format was really interesting. And I talked to Al quite a lot about it on and off air. And as we were going through, um, I was looking forward to possibly playing in a Megatron-style event um, in another part of Australia, which unfortunately uh, didn't happen because the event, the convention that it was going to be a part of, um, did not run. Again, thanks, COVID. And so I thought, why not run a Megatron-style event here in Melbourne? We have a strong bolt-action scene. It would be a really interesting new way of playing the game. And, um, yeah, we went from there. Ironically, the exact same day, the Megatron format, or a variation of it, was being used uh, 
at an event in the United States. So we had literally Australia, United States, Megatron style events happening within the same 24 hour period. And joining me today is the TO of that event, a man who, if you are anywhere near bolt action social media, pretty much anywhere, you will know this man's work. Of course, I am talking about the one and only Jordan from Scale History SLC. Jordan, welcome back to Cast Dice, my man. Your U.S. Marine Army conversions are outrageously good. How you doing? Hey, Brad, I'm, I'm doing good. You know, it's I think it's been about a year since we've talked. And uh, mm -hmm. this is my first time on Cast Dice uh, after hours. It's midnight here and, you know, the vibe is is different and uh, I'm excited to be here. Neither one of our cameras are running. Uh, I am sitting in a dark room, even though it's not midnight here, but um, it is the middle of our winter and it might as well be dark. So it it does feel a little bit strange to be on opposite sides of the planet and both of us to be rocking the late night vibes. Yeah, but they're good vibes, Brad. They're good vibes. But I do I do have a funny comment about um, those conversions I've been working on because the last time I was here, uh, I had done eight conversions and I was going to stop there. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, we hadn't talked about this pre-show, but you asked me how I was going to build the rest of the army. Mm -hmm. And I, on the spot, I think I came up with the theater selector, but I was like, oh, I hadn't even considered doing an entire army. And here we are. I was going to say, I, I, home was stretch. Your, I was looking at your heavy mortar team this morning and it is glorious. So what does that take your model count for this for? Because for those who don't know and haven't seen Jordan's work online, um, you are using U.S. Marine plastics in general uh, and bits and pieces from all sorts of other places to make a Pacific U.S. Army force. Is that correct? Yeah. So the base of every model is from the U.S. Army kit, but I wanted like the rolled up sleeves and everything. So most of those come from the U.S. Marine sprue. Mm -hmm. And then I got an idea to try and do some shirtless guys. <laughs> so I use a Warlord Zulu sprue and basically mate the two halves to get some uh, some strong guys in there. And uh, yeah, now I'm I'm looking at uh, four squads and a, a bunch of support units and um, just have a couple more units to go. But the goal became uh, ma making every model in the army uh, a conversion, a kit bash or both. So it's uh, it's been quite a project. That's amazing. And I love how you've turned the, the gaiters on a lot of the pants into just long pants. So they're not tucked in um, and you're using green stuff for that. And as you say, the untucked shirts or the open shirts or the, the rolled up sleeves there, there are just so many little conversions that once you see them painted, they disappear. But they're so well done that you don't see that it's a conversion, which, in my opinion, is the best kind of conversion. And man, they look so good. And I'm so glad when you post these models, you're posting the work in progress with them so we can see what you green stuffed, where the kits are coming from in some cases. Um, and it really does show the amount of love and hard work you put into the project. It is a masterclass in bolt action converting a totally original looking force um, using existing plastics. It's awesome. 
Thanks, Brad. Yeah, I, I'm super excited about it. And I uh, I got on the table once so far, so it's at least at that size. Um, but it's going to keep growing. And there will be some add-on projects attached to it. Um, but I will keep those secret for now. I was going to say, do we get to find these out? But uh, we're, we'll find out, I'm sure, on social media. But you have to go to Scale History SLC, either on Insta or on Facebook. Uh, look for the man there and you will see his work. I highly recommend if you have not checked it out already. Are you going to post things soon or is this the long burn that we're waiting for? This is this is the long haul. So, okay, okay. But I, I will be teasing out different things, but I, I think it'll be something for other people to use in their games. So right on. Right on. Well, let's get into why you were here today, sir, because we both ran Megatron style events. Now, both of us did change the format from Alistair's original dream. Um, and in some cases, I think we both divvied from it significantly. But I think the bare bones are in place for through both of our events that we can talk about how cool the Megatron format is if folks are interested in running it. Would you agree? Yeah, we definitely base this off of Alistair's design. Um, and I know you've been talking with him on your show and I'm sure uh, elsewhere, um, just talking over all the details. Uh, I also reached out to him and got a bunch of input and feedback from him. Uh, so thank you, Al, for uh, just helping me get through uh, writing up the pack and, and, all the considerations that go into the format. Yeah, man. And if you are interested and in, you are in the UK or are planning to be in the UK, or because of this, you will be in the UK uh, in August on August 12th at common ground games. Al will be running Megatron 3000, the sequel. Uh, and it is going to be epic. Um, he has a huge number of players already. And um, yeah, man, if once you find out how the the format works you probably want to contact him pretty darn soon um just go to megatron 3000 on facebook and message uh because there is already quite a few theater selectors already taken and you can only have it once so um let's dig into what is the megatron format so in alistair's original uh dream of this event the main crux of the Megatron format is it, it is to encourage players to use the campaign and theater books that Warlord has put so much time and resources into putting out over the years. And it's to get away from same, samey cookie cutter lists that we see at so many events. And so what you need to do to play in this is you need to create a single platoon that is using a theater selector from a theater or campaign book. You cannot use um, a reinforced platoon, a standard one. You also cannot use a theater selector from any of the armies of books, according to Alistair's format. There is a dice cap of 18 order dice for the event. Um, and it's to make sure the games are played in a timely fashion. So the other little point here is that once you have chosen a theater selector, you need to submit it when you pay for the event. 
and it is then locked and no one else can use that theater selector. So if you really want to run a bunch of Shermans in a U.S. list and you grab the Bloody Gulch theater selector or you really want to run three T-34s and you take the Stalingrad tank factory list, no one else can take it once you've taken it. Now, you can pay a nominal admin fee later to switch, and it will open that up for other people to use later, and then you will have to pick your new selector from the existing list of what's still available. But that is the general idea. Am I getting this right, Jordan? Yeah, I think you hit all the points there. Um, I, I think the biggest thing here is most events that I have heard of around the world are running with uh, one or two generic platoons mm -hmm. um, in the name of, of balancing, I would say. But unfortunately, what that's led to is a lot of very samey same army lists. And of course, that varies from event to event. But, uh, you know, Warlord has written all these theater selectors. And a lot of them are a really fun uh, give and take of maybe some better selections or some cool rules. And in the best list, um, some negatives, whether that's just uh, units that you can't take or um, even some negative rules. So there's a lot of fun to be had there. And I think this event really is just there to show that other side of bold action. Exactly. And a lot of people, when they start talking about why theater selectors aren't commonly used in events, point to the same selectors over and over again as being unfair. Everyone talks about CeeLo Heights. Um, everyone talks about the Stalingrad selector with free fanatics um, for uh, from the armies of the Soviet book. And so this eliminates those uh, in the pure Megatron format because you're not allowed to actually take those. Um, and if you're thinking, well, what about the tank factory list you were just talking about that has three T-34s? Well, those are A, inexperienced T-34s, and B, they have the special tank factory lists, which, as you mentioned a second ago, make them not as good. Um, they can have limited optics, et cetera, et cetera, which makes them way less effective on the table than your standard regular T-34. So it's a way to get flavorsome, quote-unquote, balanced lists on the table. And by having that, every player sort of comes in um, with equal, um, I don't know, equal opportunity on the tabletop. And Al really has been very happy with how it has played out in the original Megatron event last year and how it's looking like it's going to play out this year, where you have, um, you know, a real mix of lists, but everything is basically in the same ballpark. And it isn't like you have two wildly different fields of lists where one will raffle stomp the other one because there are the, you know, win it all cost hyper competitive playing lists that are metagame to the max versus, you know, someone who's taking a, a themed historical list, which, you know, is just based on history and, you know, may not be min max to within an inch of its life. Now, of course, those two extremes can still happen with um, these theater selector lists at this event. But because of the way the lists are written, um, it, it seems to be less so. Um, would you agree with that? 
I would agree with that in part. Um, I think one of the the takeaways that at least I'm going to have from running my event is just like the, the role and responsibility the TO has in kind of um, uh, policing is a strong word, but um, filtering lists through mm-hmm. um, and, and clearly defining expectations for the event. Um, yeah. I mean, you mentioned a couple selectors earlier that are really strong and are kind of known for being uh, very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny that, I don't know if I had any of those kind of uh, well-known super powerful lists uh, show up, but there were some that were almost so skewed in one direction that, that people weren't ready for it. So um, I think the idea uh, of balance comes from, um, like I said earlier, like, like the give and, and take of what the, your, your theater selector provides for you, but also maybe takes away from you. Mm-hmm. Um I just think what hap- what needs to happen um, as a TO, and we'll, we'll discuss this later, but is you kind of have to be a little more aware of what those lists are doing and what that give and take is. So that's from my perspective. No, 100%. And I am sort of jumping ahead. I, I probably shouldn't have asked that question knowing that we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, I should say that I did say this was an 18 order dice event. That is Al's. Um, and that lists need to be in by the 22nd of July, which is um, coming up very soon. Uh, so if you're listening to this and want to play, get in there. But you should probably also know that it is 1,250-point event. Um, now, I ran something called Megatron Down Under on June 17th of this year. And you, of course, ran your event, which we'll get to in a second, uh, on the same day, except in the opposite hemisphere. Um, my version was very similar to Alistair's in a number of ways. I used the same selection rules that he did, um, except I, because of timings of rounds, um, this, the shop that I was running it in, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't get in sort of prior to 10 a.m. Um, we could get in a couple minutes before, so I had to start a little bit later than what Al would have normally recommended given the size of the armies. So rather than going with 1,250, I went with 1,100 points, so 150 points less. Um, and I also dropped the the cap of dice to single platoon 16 order dice, which still gave people the opportunity to, you know, splash out and go a little bit bigger than, um, you know, you might see in some events. Uh, because I know for a long time, a long time ago, people talked about, oh, 12 order dice cap. Um, and what you just saw there was veteran armies, you know, spammed to death, which is thankfully not what I saw at this event um, in my version of it anyway. Now, Jordan, your event was completely different in that regard because yours was a sequel to an existing event and you just adopted Megatron characteristics. So talk to us a little bit about what is Revenge of, Get. I'm going to say it wrong, Gajograd. Yeah, Revenge of Gajograd. Um, so our local store here is Gajo Games in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. By the way, if you're anywhere near utah i you got to get to gajo games like we are so lucky to have a world-class store like the the amount of stock that they have is insane uh fully supported by warlord they have a huge gaming area like world-class terrain we're super super lucky 
Um, but yeah, so about, so three, no, I guess it'd be four years with COVID cause we missed the year, but, um, in 2020, we ran the first Gajo grad event. Uh, I believe it was the first bold action event in Salt Lake city. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just kind of came up with the idea for Gajo grad as a, a fictional city that w- we would fight over. Um, it's kind of fun to just to build, uh, a little fiction around that. Um, but the idea is that it's access versus allies. Uh, so it's a team event, but uh, it's also kind of a um, almost an amalgamation of, of different ideas that I've heard from, um, you know, different uh, bold action communities around the world. So mm-hmm. so the initial version of this event was really, uh, really closely tied to Operation Snafu um, and the Snafu podcast guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second iteration, which was returned to Gajo grad, um, I made some tweaks because I didn't want to just run operation snafu here. You know, I wanted to like, I wanted us to have kind of our own twist on, uh, an event. And so this third year revenge at Gajo grad, um, I kind of tried to really separate, uh, the event from operation snafu and, and just, um, you know, do something different. Um, so we had, uh, we had three games still access versus allies. Um, we did adopt the, the Megatron force selection, um, for this year's event. I just, I thought it was a great idea and a really good way to get, you know, new varied lists in there. And we certainly did. Um, I didn't have an order dice cap. Uh, I've been kind of on the fence on that concept and, uh, we'll talk about where I am now. Um, and we also allowed theater selectors from army books. And um, I don't think, uh, I don't think that uh, detracted from the event at all, but again, we'll, we'll really get into the nuts and bolts later. Mm-hmm. Um, but how this event differed from previous years is uh, it, we took this idea of, um, you know, a team event. I wanted to have, the teams interacting, you know, uh, strategizing before the event, uh, between rounds. So what we did was, um, you know, we had pretty much three to four tables, each three or sorry, each section of three to four tables would be a sector. Um, and so we had three sectors, uh, instead of just racking up points for wins and that being the comparison for axes versus allies, uh, teams had to win more tables in a sector than the other team in order to claim that sector. And that's when the team would get points. Um, So trying to encourage some teamwork there, but also each table had an associated bonus with it. And the idea was that our teams would choose two of the 11 tables each round to be their objective tables. They're saying, I want to win specifically on this table. And if they did win on that table that they claimed, they would get that bonus associated with the table for the next round. Um, so again, just really trying to foster like communication before and between games. And uh, again, it, it, it was kind of just built to, to build the narrative around this, uh, this fictional city that we're fighting over. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the, the high level overview. Um, and, uh, we'll get into the nitty gritty. 
Yes. Now you you are a thousand points. So yours was a thousand. Mine was eleven hundred, and Alistair was one thousand two hundred and fifty. Now you and Alistair are both two and a half hour rounds. Mine was two hour and fifteen minutes, and the last round was actually shortened to two hour and ten minutes, only because we are tight on time. Um, but with with my event, um, it was more. It was the timing was tighter than I would have enjoyed. Um, I I do like having an end result that plays itself out. Um, I've been playtesting a lot of missions for the Bolt Action Alliance. Uh, the next mission pack that was supposed to be out last year. Sorry, folks. It will be out in the next couple of weeks. I apologize. It's been out a couple of years. Um, and that one thing that really has come through with all of that playtesting is how much the the last couple of order dice can really change the the result of a close game um yesterday i was playing a good friend of the show dave hunsdale and we were running through uh pincer movement one of the new missions and it came down to um dave was handily beating me but I pulled some last minute uh, old school gaming shenanigans to get a pinned out Panzer Shrek in the back of a multi air, which didn't happen, which happened to pass its rally test the turn before to drive up around a corner and get onto an objective um, because the squad was in the transport. I was able to hold that objective. And for a few seconds, it looked like I was going to hold the game. Had we finished because of time um, that would have robbed Dave of a well-deserved win, um, which he did get eventually, but it is important that games play out so that results aren't skewed in my opinion. And it's important that you get at least five turns of a game in with tournament games. And one of the bonus points that I gave it, my event was, and it's one that I used last year at a few events, was that if both players uh, finish five turns, you know, completely, both players get the bonus point. Um, so oftentimes you'll see an event, if you kill the enemy's lieutenant, you'll get a bonus point. If you have killed more order dice of theirs than they're of yours, you might get one. I've seen different iterations of this at different events, et cetera, et cetera. However, um, I really like the finish five turns because it means that both players are trying to work together to get as much of the gameplay done. Um, and I, I found that you get better results that way. And I was surprised with how many people didn't get that bonus in a lot of the games. And the missions we were playing were not overly complex. Um, two of the three of them were rule book missions, very straightforward. And yet, um, we part of that has to do with new players, I think, um, people who are still figuring things out. Uh, but I would have really liked to have had more time in each round. And I know that Al is very happy with two and a half hours per round. Um, given the size of the armies and the missions that he's playing at the event. What was your experience? Um, because I really need to make sure that my next event has two and a half hours per round, just so I feel like I'm getting true results, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it's interesting because uh, actually one of the changes that I implemented this year was we went from two and a quarter hour uh, games to two hours, 30 minutes. Um, the last two versions of this event, uh, we did run at 800 points. Um, I think I've talked about 800 points on here before. I still really mm -hmm. like that level mm -hmm. because uh, faster games are always a plus. Um, but it, I have seen it stir up more thought into list building because you can't take everything. Mm -hmm. So if you want to skew, you got to be all in. Um, and if you want to just do an all rounder list, you can, but you know, you're um, yeah. Like it just takes a little more thought, I think. Um, but you know, we, we went to a thousand points and we went to two and a half hour rounds and at, we didn't have any problems with uh, players not finishing games. Um, and of course, we were what a hundred and twenty-five, hundred fifty points less uh, than you guys were, um, and we had more time. So, uh, I think I think two and a half hours is a sweet spot, um, especially anything over a thousand points, even at a thousand points. It's enough time to where you're like. You're not rushed the entire time uh, and games can get finished. Um, but then again, it does also cut 45 minutes out of your day, you know, three games in a day for mm -hmm. a single day event. It it's a time crunch for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say that I, as TO, um, I thankfully I had an even number of players so I could just, you know, walk around, watch games, socialize, hang out, and um, to make sure that, you know everything was being, I don't know, not everyone, when I say everything's being done properly, I'm talking more about my own practice, not the playing being done, if that makes sense. Make sure that, you know, I've double-checked all the numbers for the results for best sports, for, you know, for best painted. Um, I've, you know, arranged all of the certificates with the store because, you know, you have to buy them and et cetera, et cetera. And that's a time taking, that takes time. And if I was playing the Gumby and was doing everything else, it just would have made it a really unpleasant experience. So I had a very lovely day of hanging out with friends and watching some great games of bolt action on beautiful tables. And I'll talk more about that in a sec. But I got a really cool vibe from the players at Megatron Down Under. Um, I think I want to riff off of something that you said a second ago and that Dave Hunsdale mentioned yesterday that players really seem to be into their army more so than usual at this event because they put more thought into it. Um, now I liked what you were saying a second ago about people putting more thought into things because they had less points to do it than they would normally do. Um, I really like 911 points as uh, a uh, point limit for an event. I've done it a couple times in the past. Huge fan of that for the same reason. But because people had to really focus on the selectors, it was um, it was really interesting how much that they became invested in the history of their armies. People were adding custom objectives that matched their theater selector. People were painting up additional units, changing their armies, just doing really cool little extra steps that they normally wouldn't do in a bolt action event. And 
I think that really brought something special to the event. And I think the same is true with Al's event um, from talk, talking to him on the side. He's mentioned that as well. But it also brought a really cool vibe um, where everyone was talking about their armies and having a good time um, while they were playing. And I don't feel like things were rushed. And that could have been to the detriment of finishing games. But I would prefer that people weren't rushed and have a good time and not necessarily get past five turns. I mean, to be fair, most games finished on turn five. They just didn't finish turn five, if that makes sense. Um, so I was really happy with that as a vibe. Um, were you having that sort of experience with your players as well? That because people had, I know they had more points than previous years, but because they had to fit certain selectors, were they focusing on what was in their army more than usual? Oh yeah. It, it was a highlight for me as a TO. Um, the way we facilitated like our access and allies chat is we just, we set up private discord channels and had the two teams each had one. Uh, awesome. And of course I had access to both. And so I could just like watch it. And it's like, <laughs> it's like watching your kids grow up, but uh, they just uh, all the back and forth about um, what, what selectors to take and, um, and a list composition. Uh, it was super cool to see. And it like, it showed on the day because we had some really, really great looking armies, um, mm -hmm. really unique compositions. Uh, just one um, example off the top of my head uh, on the Axis team. Uh, we had a guy who always plays Americans. Um, I, I believe that's his only army. I could be wrong, but he's always been Americans and he wanted to play on the Axis team. So he decided to run the Panzer Brigade 150 list, which oh, is cool. yeah, yes. which is the Germans in American uniforms. Uh, and he was all in. He had the Airsats Panther. Um, he had a uh, a lieutenant with a uh, what is it the STG forty four the assault rifle mm -hmm. and uh, I guess they wore scarves to um, distinguish each other from actual Americans um, and he had that going on with his lieutenant too and it's funny because he would ask the team about his list and they're like yeah you should choose a different list if you want to win and he's like I don't care I'm all in on this list and his list didn't perform super well, but he did end up winning best theme and he just like stuck to his guns and it was, it was so awesome. And yeah. uh, from what I heard, he had a ton of fun running that list. And there was a couple different examples like that. Um, so like, it, it was just really fun to see. And yeah, they were way more invested in what they were building um, or painting up specific units for the event. Like it was just, it was a very cool vibe for sure. Yeah, man. And that is such a cool army list. I was kind of hoping someone would bring that. And when no one did bring that one, I actually, because I have an Earth's Ass Panther um, painted up and I have a painted Battle of the Bulge American army, um, I was going to run that as one of the Gumby lists before I went, <laughs> that, you know, an army that people can't shoot until you're in their face, that might not make for a great Gumby. Um, so I, I, I dialed it back to just a standard American army, but the thought did occur to me and that I'm so glad you had that. Um, you also had, and I know we'll get into this when we start talking about quote unquote skew lists. Um, 
But I mean, I did mention I had the Bloody Gulch list with multiple with two Shermans. I had the um, Tank Factory list with three. Um, what is it? I can't remember. Um, reduced optics T34 inexperienced tanks that was just wild to see on the tabletop. I had a British anti-tank uh, platoon uh, with you know manned by Australians. It was, uh, you know, people kept asking, what the hell army is that? And um, it was just, you know, from posting pictures on social media, it was just a wall of guns. Uh, I don't think it won. Maybe it won a single game. Uh, but ironically, uh, I, you know, because we random drew first round, that anti-tank list faced the tank factory list in the first game. And I walked by the table in the first couple of minutes and uh there were three smoking t-34s on the tabletop and i went oh god oops um but the tank factory list won so there you go uh it it, it comes down to what can win the missions given the objectives set out um but you also had um i know you had the same list that i almost had which was the ss list with my version of it that we actually realized was too many order dice and we had to, I asked the player to resubmit and they then submitted something else was I think eight swim wagons with medium machine guns. Um, you actually had that list on the day. And I mean, just the character of the armies and the variety that people were bringing was just so much fun. Almost nothing looked like a quote unquote standard reinforced platoon. Um, and it was, yeah, I think it made for an interesting event. Yeah. The, the swim wagons, the, <laughs> uh, it, it looks like the, uh, the last charge of the Rohirrim or something from Lord of the Rings, but with swim mm -hmm. wagons, uh, it's super, super cool. Uh, and you wouldn't see that, you know, in any generic platoon, you could never build that. Uh, so, seeing that on the table is both ridiculous and super fun. Right. Yeah. Well, shall we dig in a little bit more? Um, one of the things that I always like talking about are missions. Now, if we are going to be talking about Megatron 3000, um, the actual missions that are run will be key positions, meeting engagement and sectors all of which are in the basic bolt action rule book. Um, what were the missions that you ran in yours? So I wanted to cut down on um, player confusion or um, just time involved in reading scenarios ahead of time. But I also didn't want players building for specific scenarios that they knew they were going to be playing. So each round had two possible scenarios and basically just rolled for it uh, at the beginning of each round. Uh, so the first round was key positions or sectors. Those are both known as, you know, the some of the better rulebook missions as far mm -hmm. as ba balance goes. Um, round two, I've always tried to make round two a little more skewed for the losers of the previous round. You remember this is a team event. So of course, um, yeah want that to uh, want, want to make it more interesting in that way. I don't want it to just be a blowout. So I had envelopment and point events as the possibilities 
uh, for the second round. Um, if this was an individual tournament, I wouldn't go anywhere near those scenarios. But for that specific role, um, those scenarios worked. And then round three was a toss-up between meeting engagement or double envelopment. Again, two more neutral scenarios. And of course, these are all in the rule book, so the players could read up on them beforehand, uh, but they wouldn't know exactly which one they were going to play. So try to tie that into the, uh, the strategy a little bit more. Um, but we ended up doing key positions, or no, sorry, we ended up doing sectors, uh, point defense, and meeting engagement. Nice. Um, we also used, and you're going to sense a trend here, folks. Um, we also use sectors and uh, key positions. Um, we usually, with events down here, um, use one of the old Bolt Action Alliance missions for the mission packs, one from the 2020 pack. And then we play test one from the upcoming pack, which is finally upcoming, um, which we did do one of those. Um, so um, the Thin Red Line, as named by our friend Albert, um, was a mission that I've been working on for a little while and is probably the most straightforward of the missions in the new pack. Um, and we rolled that out as the first round. But then for the other two, we used key positions and sectors. So it was um, consistent across all the events that we were running those two. And as you say, those are commonly seen as the quote unquote best missions in the book. Um, <clears throat> I was very happy with the missions on the day. Um, thin red line was a hit, uh, key positions and sectors do exactly what they say on the tin. They were, you know, players knew what they were. They knew how they worked. They played them before. Um, it was pretty straightforward. There were no questions. Um, what, were you having similar experiences? I know that by using, um, was it meeting engagement as your middle mission that, uh, uh it, point, point defense, point defense. Sorry. I was thinking of Al's all of a sudden, um, did, cause that one is a little bit more skewy than some of the other standard missions. And I know you said you were leaning into that because of the team nature of your event. How did you feel that worked? Uh, so sectors for the first round, I mean, sectors always works. Uh, I think moving forward, I would run that mission. Um, I think the juggernauts did a variety where instead of the entire sector being in play, there's just a objective in the center of each sector. Um, it, it just seems to work a little bit better uh, because depending on your list, depending on, on, on the experience of the player, you can kind of just stack up units and then turn five, turn six, you know, flood them all into the sectors and um, you know, you just score a bunch of points, you know, the last turn doing that. Um, so I think I like the juggernaut version a little bit better, but sectors always plays well. Um, super happy with that. Uh, point defense worked how I wanted it to, um, you know, to give the losers of the first round, which ended up being the allies, um, you know, a better shot at coming back. Um, and if I had scored, um, or sorry, if I didn't have the, the table sector scoring method that I mentioned before, mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have liked it as much. Um, 
but because we did have the sectors, the allies were able to pull uh, more wins and more draws than the Axis, which ended up giving them the sectors. And then, uh, you know, they got the points that way. So it, it did end up like evening out because the Axis won the first round, allies won the first we were tied going into the third round, which is, you know, exactly what you want for that kind of event. Um, again, any other format, I think I would shy away from those missions and I probably will for the next iteration. Um, mainly because of prep bombardment. And I don't know if you want to talk about prep bombardment now or later, but um, I have some, some thoughts on prep bombardment. Oh, please do hit me. I do love it. And- uh, so this is one of the things I've been on the fence about. Um, you know, again, I, I, I'm trying to to listen to what other communities are doing around the world as much as I can. And there's some back and forth on prep embarment. And um, yeah, my experience with it is just that I, it's never fun. Um, it drags the games out. Yes. Uh, and especially when you're, you're on a time crunch, like we've talked about in a one day event, like it's kind of just unnecessary um if you're on the receiving end of it and you really you know get some poor dice rolls or rather your opponent gets some great dice rolls um mm-hmm. you know it's not fun to lose a unit before the game even starts um but you know i i, I want to talk a lot about um just some takeaways as a to and uh one of the takeaways is you know we had a player who was on an open table and uh you know he really got the bad end of the prep embarment as a defender uh, ended up failing a bunch of checks. And then because it was an open table, um, you know, his units were just getting picked off while he couldn't do anything about it. And, you know, sometimes the dice just go that way. It's a dice game. There's not much you can do, but like, I think as a TO, if we can eliminate the feel bads as much as possible, I think that's the way forward. And so, uh, Prep embarment will not be coming back to Gajo grad 2024. Yeah, that's, that's actually a pretty common occurrence from talking about prep bombardment with a lot of people. Um, I have been really tossing up whether to include it in any of the missions for the next Volt Action Alliance mission pack. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more once the pack actually comes out, but um, the long and the short of it is um, the more people I've talked to, almost everyone universally doesn't like it. It's It seems to be the second most unpopular rule in bolt action, the first being turret jam. Um, and it, you know, I thought a lot of people complained about templates, but man, people have really strong opinions about preliminary bombardment because it has led to so many people having, as you said, feel bad, negative play experiences. Um, that it's fine. Um, and what some TOs do is they will say you roll once for the table. So if one person gets hit, both people get hit. And in that case, I'm fine with it. But the fact is when one person's hit by it and the other one isn't, it kind of sucks. Now, a lot of people do, um, say, you know, it's important that it is included because um, it can affect people's decisions about how many units they put on the table, how many they keep in reserve. It It is part of the game. And obviously you, you want to use it because that mechanic was created. 
Um, but so many people have had bad experiences with it. Very few people say, yes, please. Can I have preliminary bombardment, please? And it seems to slow the game down. Um, now, I have had a conversation. I believe Lee Avery said this um, when we were talking about it, where he pointed out that because a lot of people hold more things in reserve, um, it actually can speed up the game. And it means that rather than moving and shooting and doing whatever else for the first turn, it might feel slow, but you're actually playing through it pretty quickly to go, okay, rally, move on. Okay, rally, move on. Okay, rally. And it can actually lead to a faster round one. Of course, Lee is also famous for saying that he gets pantsed by it all the time and he has really bad experiences of getting hit with preliminary bombardment. Um, we did not use preliminary bombardment at um, Megatron down under. Um, I think one of the missions had it listed uh, and I'm trying to remember which one because I almost <clears throat> never play rulebook missions myself. Um, but I did tell people to not do it because a number of people asked, are we rolling once per the table? Are we rolling individually? And I just T.O. announced, please do not do this. Uh, it is not going to lead to a good experience. Just play faster. Don't do it. Um, and I will be writing that into uh, player packs moving forward if, when, preliminary bombardment is used. Um, it will absolutely be once per the table. Um, now, I have heard some people saying online saying that um, a TO could roll for it once at the beginning of a turn, sorry, a, a, a tournament round for the entire event at once. And that would speed up the process. I don't know if I want to be the guy who rolls preliminary bombardment for every player in an event and then get that many dirty looks. It doesn't seem like my idea of a good time, but at least no, it would no. be fair. Um, because it it can it can dramatically change as you pointed out the outcome for an event if someone gets hit and loses some units i personally played brian cook in round 1 of cancon a couple of years ago uh, and by a couple i mean many years ago and he was playing a british and i was playing japanese and he rolled preliminary bombardment um and hit me with it and i lost at least half my army and i'm not exaggerating that it was like 6 6 6 6 6 and after preliminary bombardment, everything that was left on the table was buried in pins and went, well, I guess that's a game then, isn't it? Um, because that, you know, I was able to rally or, you know, bonsai forward, but I wasn't playing the wall of spears bonsai list. And I just got decimated uh, by, you know, Brian well played it. And um that was the beginning of my dislike of preliminary bombardment, uh, but it just didn't feel like a fair gaming experience. And I don't, as a TO, I don't want my players feeling that way. Um, would you agree? Exactly. That's uh, feel bad as a TO is, you know, earlier I said uh, the team's communicating was like your kids growing up. Well, mm -hmm. like feel bads is like your kids getting beat up at school or something like it's just, it's not fun. Um, and I, I've not really heard of a fix for prep environment that I love. I, I think the fix is, you know, better, more interesting missions that just don't use it. Yep. But that, that is my prep environment soapbox. 
I will um, stand next to you on that soapbox and put a little advertising banner. Bolt Action Alliance 2023 Mission Pack will be out in the next couple of weeks. Please see this and uh, enjoy that there's only one mission in that with preliminary bombardment. And it is one that everyone gets preliminary bombardment no matter what. It's called Rolling Thunder. You can, if you love preliminary bombardment, kids, it's on there for you to play. Um, let's move on then, shall we? Um, now, Al has, I believe, 44 players signed up for Megatron 2, which is amazing. And I was very excited to be cruising around 25 to 24 players um, for the months and weeks rolling up to the event. Um, I kept dropping one, gaining one, dropping one, gaining one. And I think all up, I had 29 players, um, if you include all the drops. Uh, but within, I believe it was 36 or 48 hours of the event, uh, I lost <laughs> six. Uh, so on the day, I had 18 players, uh, which I'm very happy about because the original cap for the event was 20. So it meant that I didn't have to um, pull together additional tables from as many members of the community as I'd um, possibly needed to do previously. It also meant that I had more prizes for people on the day, which was great. Um, but I was very happy with, um, the turnout. Um, we had so many new players and I feel bad because the six people that dropped were very sick or had significant life events that popped up. Um, but some of our regulars, um, who show up to every event, um, and, or players, like uh, our good friend Hayden, who painted an army specifically for the event, and then because of a sick child, could not attend. And I felt so bad for him um, because he had put so much time and effort in, and his army looked amazing. He'd arranged a grudge with a friend in round one. Everything was ready to go, and then he was my last drop. And I, I was, it was heartbreaking for me. To, to hear that. So I need to have him over for a friendly game soon, but our good, our good buddy, Pedro, who's been on the show in the many times in the past, um, who's been in the top three of almost all the bolt action events that have been in Melbourne, uh, for the last couple of years. Um, he, he also was sick and couldn't make it. So it was a really interesting, um, cross hash of players that disappeared, um, be right before the event. But that said, we still had, I think, a, a very proficient field. But we also had some really cool new people. We had two players fly down from Canberra. Um, Pete West, uh, former TO of CanCon, who's been on this show more times than I can count, came down. It was awesome to have him. Um, the Bloody Gulch player, Sean, was also from um, Canberra. Uh, it was just really cool um, to see some interstate guys. And they both had a good time. Um, so yeah, I, I'm very happy with 18. Um, you know, the, the TO and me kind of wanted to have a nice even 20. Um, but it made life much easier on the day because, um, I went back to my, the original 10 tables that I had planned on having. And because we had 18, it meant there was one spare table that I could cycle players through. I actually set up 11. So there were two spare tables that we were able to mix things up. And as a TO, it makes life so much easier to have extra tables oh, yeah. um, so that if, you know, you get down to round three and you're trying to figure out what two players can play on what table so they don't overlap, 
um, particularly for a two day event, it's always nice to have extras. Um, what was your, what was your experience like? Cause you sold out at 22, right? Well, it's funny how similar our events actually went, you know, both on the same day, but, um, we had a 22 player cap originally. I think the previous events were, uh, or the previous iteration of this event, we had 18 players at both of them. Um, but we had a 22 player limit. Uh, our, our venue has this upper balcony area where all the tables are, and there's 11 tables up there for uh, games. So, you know, 22 players. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we had made some friends at uh, the Las Vegas Open. Uh, we met a bunch of guys from Montana, which is within driving distance of Salt Lake City. And, uh, you know, we have, I think, four or five guys from this Montana group um you know come out for revenge at gajo grad we had three or four from wyoming i believe um which is also within driving distance of utah mm-hmm. and um at one point we ended up i think we had 26 or 28 players so we made we moved the cap to 26 players um but what this meant was we were going to have to set up some tables in the basement of our venue Mm. Uh, which would have been interesting because you know they would have been separated from everyone else and i would have been running up two flights of stairs uh you know throughout the event so i probably i my wife would have been excited because i would have lost some weight but um <laughs> right. it, it, it would have it would have been a different experience especially for the players you know that were stuck in the basement yeah. um but also that's where all the nice terrain is so it would have been a little give and take anyways uh Similar to your experience, I think a week out from the event, we lost five players, um, you know, for various reasons. And uh, so we were sitting at 21 the night before the event. And, um, you know, I as a TO, I wasn't going to run a Gumby list. Um, but our uh, our local Warlord Raider, Sean, who shout out to Sean, like we we literally could not put on events without him. He's just, he's the best. Um, but he, he likes to mingle with everybody, you know, and, and doesn't really want to be mm-hmm. playing as much as he just wants to be uh, helping out and um, talking to people. And I was like, Hey, like, I, I'm sorry, last minute, you're going to have to jump in and, and Gumby. And um, uh, a local player came to the rescue literally the night before uh, it was like, hey, I heard you guys were down a player. Jumped in, and we had a magical twenty-two players. Um, Boom! So I, again, as a TO, like you know, putting on a big record event is uh, is exciting. But had we had players in the basement, I think it would have detracted from multiple facets of the event. So, so twenty-two players was still a record for us. I think the previous record was eighteen, um, but we were all able to be up there together in the same space. And so that was a big, big win in the end. That's awesome. And it's also, I know you had a lot of people drop and I know that can feel bad, but as you said, your event grew and you had so many players from so many places um, that you're just building up the community out in the West. It's awesome to see, man. Yeah, it's it's been really cool and it's just going to keep growing. Um, One comment, though, on on player registrations like this format specifically encourages players to register and to register early, Mm -hmm. Um, which, again, as a T.O., is super, super helpful 
Um, and it helps build up, you know, excitement for the event and everything. But like previous events that I've run, I've run five or six now. Uh, and a lot of players will be like, yeah, maybe I'll come. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you have like pri- like registration prior to the event. Yeah, like I'll probably be there. Um, but with this event specifically, because people wanted to lock down their favorite theater selectors, I I think we were sold out for four or five months before our event Oof. actually took place, which is mm-hmm. insane. Um, and and just for all all the planning purposes, like that is so helpful. So I'll like I think that is the one of the that's probably the biggest enhancement that the Megatron format gives to the TO. Yeah. Yeah, that's I'm a little spoiled in that we typically sell out events in Melbourne anyway. And so I am used to having people wanting to register early and register fast. And so I I have solid player numbers, but having run events for Warhammer Fantasy, Warhammer 40K, all uh, you know, different games over the years. That has definitely not been the experience. And um, getting players to commit can sometimes be frustrating, especially if you are trying to buy prizes and trophies and you don't know exactly how big your player base is. So 100% agree. And I know Al's um, finding that with his event too. So if you are a a TO and you are looking for a way to encourage players to get in early, the Megatron Megatron format is great for that. And it really can help build the hype in a community. I like how you have the the Discord servers. So you had people talking um, within your community uh, about the event going up to it, build up the smack talking maybe. Maybe not within the own team, but maybe. Um, but we have um, Axis and Ales as a local club. And a lot of the guys from that came to play at the event. I play there on school holidays and when I can get over during um, the school year. And those guys are awesome. Um, our good buddy Albert, who won the event with his um, partisan list, is uh, a regular there. Um John Mack, who also runs a lot of the events, and Drew Baxter, who also runs some of the events down here, are also members of that. So a lot of the players who came to that event um, have come up through that club. And so um, I think that out of the 18, um, oh, God, I don't want to say exactly how many, but maybe eight of them came from that club. Um, and just having a chat of bolt action players, you know, ongoing from that club. There was a lot of, you know, talking about your list. What are you taking? What are you not taking? What are your feelings about this going into it? And just creating that buzz, I think definitely helped with the buildup to the event. Um, So if you are looking to get players committed and interested in an event, having some way for players to talk prior to the event, I think would be a good way of doing it as well. Um, Jordan, um, where would you like to go next? Because I have about a thousand things I want to talk about. Um, but, uh, let, let's let you take the next talking point. Um, what were your experiences from this or some of your takeaways? Ooh. Um, I have a lot of takeaways, so, 
where to start, man? Um, I think I want this conversation to be as helpful for other TOs out there, and especially new TOs. Um, so I think I want to talk about some of the things that didn't go so well. Mm -hmm. Um, and as I look over them in my notes, like, I think it has more to do with my own designs rather than like the Megatron format. Um, but you know, we touched, we touched on a little bit before the, like with this theater selector format, a TO does have to be a little bit more aware of, um, what these theater selectors are and what they do. Um, and I think kind of how the mixture of different, um, different approaches to the game is going to work out. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I'll just speak from, uh, from my experience. Um, I think I made one real big mistake, uh, in running my event and, um, you know, didn't do this the previous two years, but for the games, uh, Games two and three, I did not pair winners with winners and losers with losers. Um, is is kind of the like the normal way to go about, um, you know, pairing up uh, players. But um, y- you know, I don't I don't think you use any technology as far as like uh, d- um, what's the app for uh, running? T- There's a couple apps for running tournaments, yeah. right? That um, that'll do your 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 matchups for you and everything. Um, I have a spreadsheet and I, I'll continue to do the spreadsheet, but like the biggest hindrance to that is in between rounds, I'm going mad, like trying to pair players up mm-hmm. on, on tables. They haven't played against players. They haven't played. Um, and it's always a mad dash. So I actually took an idea. I think, um, I don't know if it was actually implemented, but I, I remember a year or two back, the Welsh nationals was going to do this thing where um, players just rotated. Um, so what I did was like the axis players would rotate two tables up and allied players would rotate two tables down. So you would guarantee like to not get the same opponent or table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, ah, easy solution. You know, don't have to worry about like going crazy between rounds. Uh, on a time limit, trying to make good pairings. Um, and what I found is, uh, you know, when, when players like approach uh, an event in different ways and different mindsets, and if you don't have a strict um, uh, uh, mode of play for your event, like if you're not saying this is strictly competitive or like this is strictly for new players, um, you know, mine mine was a little more open. And it was a mixing of of a couple different groups that hadn't mixed before, um, and I found that like some players that were expecting um, you know some like some really challenging lists and games didn't always come up against that. Yeah, and players that were we had a couple new players uh, new to the community or new to bold action, and some of those players came up against. Uh, lists they they just had were not prepared for um and again like the 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 term of this episode is going to be feel bads i think like <laughs> avoiding feel bads um and uh and that is like that responsibility is on the to and so for you know that responsibility is on me um and you know we everyone played great like every single player in our event was excellent to each other 
it wasn't a it wasn't an issue of uh personalities or anything it was just that like um i think expect there wasn't like a set expectation or um again mode of play and yeah. so um so that was just a, that was a tough thing to 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 see um some players uh just have some games that were just total total blowouts yeah that is hard um i mean that's why i'm such an adamant follower of the swiss system and i know people will tell me you can't get proper swiss results from a three event a three game event yes i totally get that but as you get to round three in particular you are more likely to have like players playing like players. Beginners might be playing beginners. Um, you know, people who are maybe gunning for the top will be facing off against one another and you will get a, you know, you, you'll get people. It will reduce the feel bads, I think is where I'm going with that. And that is not, I don't think that has anything to do with the Megatron format per se, because that is all about the army list design now i think what you were saying before though it it can result or i guess it can be associated with the megatron format um but the to needs to be very clear about the intent of the event um as to i did go back to three players and say look this is not really appropriate given the other lists in the field um and all the players went, cool, I'll do something else. And it wasn't a, it, it wasn't like they were intentionally trying to take something that was going to curb stomp someone. They didn't necessarily understand what the field was going to be because unlike previous events where I'd written in a paragraph or two into the player pack about what the intent of that event is. This is a beginner friendly event. This is a, um, you know, a historically themed, whatever, this is a competitive themed event. It was a little bit more open. And because of that, uh, the players who turned in those lists said, look, I, I didn't know. And I went, no, you're entirely right. You didn't. And it was the first time I hadn't put that in, in a long time. And I wish I had. And next time I will be back to doing that, um, to, to help with that clarity. Um, especially given that some of the theater selectors um, that were allowable for this event really did, you know, go out into left field and you could create skew lists that, you know, general armies, you know, all comers armies may not easily deal with, especially if, you know, they're being played by players that haven't been playing for a number of years and have seen all sorts of weirdness on the table, if that makes sense. Right. Um, but yeah, I, Again, I think that that's more of a us as TO takeaway than um, a, a fault of the format, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I think it's just it's just more apparent with the theater selectors. Um, again, it's just it's yeah. more more overhead for the TO. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I I didn't want this event specifically to be competitive. Um, you know, we have uh, we have uh, um, a, a new like con in the works here in Salt Lake called the Salt Lake open. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you want to be the Utah champion. That's where you go. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I also don't want it 
this event to just be for new players. And like, and I think, you know, some people yeah. I wouldn't call them try hard competitive, but like the enjoyment they get out of the game is like, they like the challenge yeah, uh, uh, of all the things wrapped around um, building a, a good list and playing well, all those things. So uh, I mean, like some of the feedback I got was, um, you know, maybe when you register, you register as, you know, more competitive or casual or like your experience level. And, um, you know, it, and then and then those types of players get paired up um and like that's not going to be perfect um it's gonna and then it'll depend on like how well you do in your rounds but Mm -hmm. um but i think that was again i think how like players were paired up kind of would have mitigated a lot of the issues with like like skewless or super high order dice um or kind of the other like tertiary um the takeaways um from the event um but yeah if you're if you're running an event especially like kind of really centered around theater selectors i think these are all just things you ought to keep in mind and i just it just went totally over my head because the previous two events um were not theater selectors they were generic platoons and uh there's a lot that you don't have to think about with generic mm-hmm. platoons uh, exactly but, and then when you introduce theater selectors um you know it's a different thing and like again this isn't all bad like i i love the theater selectors i think that's the right direction yes for an event that like you and i and, and al are running um mm-hmm. but i just think it's like oh you don't know what you don't know so exactly well we typically allow i and it does vary by event, but we typically allow theater selectors and generic reinforced platoons in a lot of the events that we run. So we do see some of the variety. But if you are thinking about running a Megatron format, you do need to be aware that it involves way more homework than yes. TOing normally, because a lot of those interesting theater selector lists and it's what makes the event so good is that everyone's bringing something a little different. Um, Some of those aren't the clearest written in the book. And because of that, easy army has a really hard time dealing with it Mm -hmm. Um, and checking the lists for this event took way more time than any other list checking endeavors I've done in the past, even with far bigger events. Um, I think the biggest bolt action event we've had in Melbourne was 36 players and or 32, somewhere in there. And it took way less time to check the list for that event than it did for Megatron. Um, And it was just because we had to go through. And even on the day, um, one of my lists was incorrect. And I actually have to embarrassingly say there were two lists that weren't right. And one of them I looked right past because I was so focused on checking the line items within the list. Um, And I was exhausted from, you know, just having had COVID and, you know, writing reports and not having slept, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I have no excuse as the TO for this. And I owe the guy who's normally my co-TO for these things, a huge apology publicly, Lee Avery, turned in a wonderful DAC list that I don't know what I was thinking. I let through the, I, 
and it was an armored company list, which aren't allowed in the traditional Megatron format. Um, it looked very much like a reinforced platoon um, because he had a bunch of half tracks and a bunch of guys in them and they had a couple tanks. So it very much fit the vibe of the event. But as I was checking it, I went, oh, crap, that's actually not. So I actually had to resub him the morning of the event. And it's the only time I've ever done that. And it's only because of the. I was just so focused on making sure everything lined up that I missed the really obvious thing at the top. And it was embarrassing. And I'm sorry, Lee. I know I've apologized. Um, it's one of my biggest TO blunders in years. Um, and I, he just pulled out his standard American army, but I know he didn't have as much fun playing with that as he would have with the deck. So I feel awful about that. Um, the other one was a simple matter of changing the name at the top to a different selector that made it then legal. Um, but that, that, that selector had been taken by another player who happened to drop within the, you know, the week before the event. So had that player not dropped, all of a sudden I would have had a list that was illegal because it would have been doubling up with the list that was already taken, if that makes sense. Um, and again, I missed that because I was going through line by line but the army book was intent. Well, the army book wasn't intentionally. The army book was wasn't clear. Um, it was one of the um, selectors from the uh, soft underbelly book, which is really well written. And I'm not having a go at the author at all. But just it was a British list, and some of the national rules crossover. The way it's worded was a little funny, so that when it went easy army. It looked right. And when I checked it, it looked right. But then on the day, I had a, a couple of people say, hey, is that right? And I went back and double checked and realized it wasn't. Um, but again, you wouldn't necessarily see a lot of that in a normal event. Um, it just it just takes extra brain power, which I was incapable of at the time. Um, and I mean, got to remember, I checked almost what? 25 26 lists for this yep and it took a real long time and what the end result meant though was it was a wonderful variety and what al would say and has said is that it frees players to experiment with new things and do interesting things on the tabletop that they would normally never be able to do. And it increases the creativity and helps the game grow. And he's right. But it is the TO, you definitely need to do your homework, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I ran into the same thing with a, uh, a British selector from the Soft Underbelly book. Was it the uh, 10 core? Is it X core? Yeah, it was. Core? Yes. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yep. Ran into the same thing. And uh, it, it would have been really, really strong. Um, you know, uh, had I not like double check that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, especially with like the British list where they have all the variable special rules. Right. Um, yeah. You got to be, you got to be aware of those, those things. Um, but you know, what's that? Uh, 
did you have any of the um like the super well-known theater selectors that are known as like ultra strong um i mean i didn't have um what's the 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 soviet one um I mean, out of the, the army book everyone, the, it's CeeLo heights is the CeeLo one heights. About. no because we ran megatron format in that it we weren't allowing anything from the armies of books uh yes um and that was awesome for established players but it was a little difficult for a couple of new players who signed up for the event um who literally didn't own any of those books and right. as i pointed out easy army isn't great at getting those right um so i actually had to work with um a couple three new players to to help them find and i would just said look send me a list of what you want to take and then as the to i then went back through the books and double checked them and found them selectors that would match and then took a picture of it and sent it to them so then they could then build their list using the actual selector and then easy army and then turn it in if that makes sense again a little bit of extra work at the front end but it's only because these were players who had literally never played in a bolt action event before and were going i think this is right and going and for a reinforced platoon they would have been mostly right but because some of the selectors were a little different it required you know a little bit of digging here and there to help them out um but again um, they had a great time and then I sent them the reinforced platoon with it going, this is what you would probably normally see and take on a tabletop. Um, and they would go, oh yeah, it's, it's almost exactly what I had before. And I said, yes, but for this event, it is a little different. <laughs> so yeah, it was a really interesting experience. It wasn't negative at all. It was, um, it was totally fine. In fact, I think having that conversation with those players, um, helped them to understand the listing process in general better if that makes sense um so i think it was a real positive for the game totally uh i we've touched on like variety of lists a little bit um but we had nine or ten minor nation armies and so that's almost half um and like four of those were french lists which is crazy three italian lists um because they have some super fun theater selectors and uh you know, again, like seeing those uh, just unique armies come out um, and the players be excited about them. Mm -hmm. like, it, it's a total win. Uh, you got to do more work on the, uh, on the TO side, but it, like it's worth it. It's a total win. It was interesting. Ours, because we weren't allowing anything from the armies of books. Um, we had almost no minor powers, which is really rare for Melbourne. Um, I believe even out of the drop list, there weren't any. So I think out of 27, uh, because there was a couple that got reused by people who dropped early and then were picked up by other people later. I think there was 27 different theater selectors chosen in total, plus a couple of people who changed. Um, and of all of those, there was only two. Um, one was French and one was the winner, which was partisans. So, yeah, it was minor nation central, <laughs> um, which was really weird. Um, I, of course, if you you also want to get in the debate, it, some people like to say that the Japanese are a minor. Of course, I disagree with that because they have their own book. 
Um, we yeah. did have two Japanese players just to be fully transparent. Um, but you know, my Chinese, I guess my Chinese could have been played because their army list isn't in an armies of book. Technically right. it's in empires and flames. So yeah. Um, I, I do want to run an event at some point coming up that really encourages people to take a minor nation power. Mm -hmm. um, but for us, this event wasn't it. But I'm glad that you did have that experience because those armies are so much fun to play, um, particularly when other people are doing it as well. Oh, yeah. So much fun. Yeah. Right on. Um, now, Jordan, our time is coming to a little bit of a close, but I do think it's important um, that we thank the people that helped us to make these events possible. Um, I do want to go out of my way to take the time to say thank you to not only everyone who came to play um, and House of War, um, the venue for my event, because they are always super supportive um, they let me come in the night before to set up all the train, knowing that I wouldn't be able to get in that morning. So I spent a couple hours on the Friday night setting up. So once we open doors, we are ready to rock and roll. They are always wonderful guys um, out in Ringwood outside of Melbourne. Love them. But of course, uh, our big sponsor for the event was War and Peace Games. You've heard me talk about them before, guys. Um, they are wonderful. They, they support all bolt action events in Australia as the distributor. Uh, for Warlord. So all Warlord support goes through War and Peace, but then War and Peace supplements it with their own additional add-ons. Man, they have always been huge uh, supporters of all the events that we run down here. Um, and they just have some great stuff in stock too. Um, when organizing uh, the prizes and the support stuff that they were sending over, I, I made the mistake of looking at their website and <clears throat> maybe placed a large order myself. Um, and now I'm looking at some awesome new terrain and uh, the Rubicon Huey kit that um, I'm looking forward to building uh, just so I can yell, get to the choppa and have it as a terrain piece on one of my boards. I don't know what I'm going to use it for or how or why, but it's going to get painted. It is so good. You um, have to have a speaker rigged up to that table with fortunate yes. sun playing just for yes. all day long. Hell yeah. Right on. Oh, now I'm going to have to rig that up. You're a bad man. Um, who were the uh, sponsors for your event, sir? Uh, yeah, we do have a couple. Um, big shout out goes to uh, Gadget Games again. Uh, world-class store, uh, world-class people there. Um, they basically allow us to put on these events. So uh, if you're anywhere near Salt Lake City, check them out. Um, of course, Warlord Games, uh, their new tournament support system um at least here in the states has been excellent uh they mm -hmm. haven't missed an event that we've run um i seriously couldn't be happier with them uh on that front um rubicon uh also has never missed an event here in salt lake um those prizes always go super fast so thank you so much rubicon uh trenchworks came in with some great prizes trenchworks is actually local here in salt lake mm -hmm. which i didn't know and that is super oh, cool yeah. Um, so I need to go get a tour of their facility. Um, I will geek out. And um, last big sponsor is Father and Son Gaming. Uh, if you're here in the States, uh, you've, you may have heard of them. They're uh, doing a lot of great work um, with like MDF terrain and, uh, and really affordable, good quality terrain. 
Um, they sent us a bunch of different buildings and I, I've used a bunch of their kits for, you know, my own personal tables. And so uh, make sure you check out father and son here in the States. I'm going to have to check them out. I'm not familiar and I might have relatives coming to visit at some point. So uh, mm -hmm. if they have room in their luggage. Um, yeah, trench works so good. I was painting one of their Japanese tanks the other day. I love their work because uh, they have that's so clear and crisp the detail that uh, painting those rivets really easy. Oh, they are the best resin kits that I have encountered. I've done their their ego kit. Ah, all the rivets, mm -hmm. it's so good. Oh man, yes the uh, the Type eighty uh, was the eighty nine. The eighty nine, uh, yeah. Love with the big the big barrel turret love it anyway yep. um al did ask um that i mentioned some of the sponsors that sponsored the megatron main event for this year um guys again if you are thinking about going to this event absolutely get in on this because the price support is bonkers they have they're being supported by warlord games rubicon footsore miniatures osprey books any scale miniatures who I absolutely love. And if I have had a lot of people asking me recently, where do I get the ruined trucks or the wrecked trucks for my boards? Cause I did five of their, um, Opal blitzes last year. And I've done three British trucks recently. Those are from any scale miniatures in Scotland. They are awesome. Um, super cheap too. Um, KO designs, gamer, Matt EU micro art studios, uh, Exit 23 Games, Die Waffenkammer, Demonscape, Alba Studios, Mar Dev, 3D Printing Valley. <laughs> so many prices. It's bonkers. But I suppose um, when you have such a big field and it is continuing to grow, um, you do need to have the prize support. So, yeah, Al's doing the, the good Lord's work over there, making sure that his players are literally swimming in the prizes. So... Um, God, I, mm, I, I really wish I was in the UK in August, you know, that, that was like all of the companies. Yeah. Like ever. He, he got them all. <laughs> exactly. Like Pokemon. He literally got them all. Um, I guess when we start talking about Pokemon, it's probably time to start wrapping up. Um, I just, as a TO who ran this and let me be clear because I want to make sure that in talking through all the nitty gritty that I was clear about, this is an excellent format event. And if your local meta hasn't run this, it's definitely worth looking up the Megatron format and talking to Alistair Unicom because as Al pointed out, it really does encourage people to think outside the box. And I think it having run it here, it had it will make the lists in future events far more diverse and interesting. I think it's great for the growth of the game. I think it's just really cool. So many people are talking about changing the rules of bolt action, changing the way people play the game to make it interesting and different. And personally, I'm not that guy. I like playing rules as written. I'm boring, I know. But this is a way of making things interesting and creative and providing a really cool experience for your players without dramatically changing the rules so that it's not so you're not playing a game that isn't bolt action anymore. It's the same reason like I like to work on missions to 
to give players a different experience using the armies that they already have. Well, this does the same thing by forcing people to look at their listing a little different. I think it's wonderful for the growth of the game. It's really interesting. And it really did help players to connect with the armies that they brought to the event. I think it's a wonderful format. And I really hope someone runs it in Melbourne in the next 12 months, um, you know, a year from now, so that I get a chance to play. Um, because as much fun as it is, um, I just, especially during report writing time, I don't want to check those lists again. Um, but it is excellent, and you should definitely look at doing it. Uh, Jordan, would you agree? Yeah, 100%. Uh, again, 2024 version of uh, the Gajo Grad series. Going to be running the theater selectors again. Megatron format, no doubt. Um, we'll just have some improvements on my end as a TO. Um, and so I think like this event format is just going to take off all around the world. It's it's so much fun. It's so it worth is. it to see crazy armies that you wouldn't see otherwise. And we've mentioned it many times, but when players are excited about what they're playing rather than just like playing what might win them the event specifically, like ah, it's such a better atmosphere and vibe. So uh, just uh, one last note for me, like if, if you're wanting to run, you know, a Megatron format event or any bolt action event, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me or Brad, or I'm going to uh, voluntold uh, Alistair, but like mm -hmm. reach out to him. He's super helpful. He's always willing to talk shop. Um, he's helped me with some things outside of, um, you know, the Megatron format. And, uh, but yeah, any questions you have, like, I want these events to run around the world and run smooth and for the community to grow. So feel free to reach out. 100%. 100%. Well said. Um, please do reach out to us. Either, you know, Jordan can be reached as, as I said, Scale History SLC. And I can be, of course, found at Cast Dice, C A S T D I C E. Um, and I can also be found on Insta. I don't usually plug that, but both of us can be found there or on Facebook or, you know, wherever else you're listening to this. Please do. Um, let us know if you have any questions because we can point you in the right direction if you have trouble finding Alistair, but the man is an icon and you can find it. And I'm not just saying that because he's an old friend, but seriously, I have to doff my hat because it is such a clever reimagining of uh, tournament listing that it's such a simple idea. Yeah. But damn, it's well done. So, yeah. Anyway, as I said, I'm hoping to play in a Megatron format soon. Uh, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any questions, please do go to Cast Dice. As I said before, on Facebook, if you message the page, you're guaranteed a response by me. Thank you very, very much to everyone who's reached out recently, either to say congratulations on getting a new mascot. We got a new puppy. Um, he is <laughs> wild. Uh, between 4 and 6 p.m. And yesterday he ate my Armies of Germany book. So I will be buying a new one. Uh, I guess he is uh, an allied player. But um, seriously, though, thank you to everyone who reached out to ask why I wasn't casting or who had suggestions on how I could um, reduce the ringing in my ears. I tried almost everything that everyone said. And, um, yeah, it, it, it really did help. And it was really nice to know that people were wishing me well. So 
I don't lightly say thank you to everyone who reached out. I, I really do appreciate it. Sometimes you wonder if anyone's listening when you do these things. Um, but the number of messages I've had in the last month has been uh, humbling. So thank you. Thank you. And Jordan, thank you very much for coming on and for dealing with my post-COVID brain. Um, I will be more focused in the future, ladies and gentlemen. But Jordan, talking to you is always a pleasure, brother. Thank you so much for making the time. It's always a pleasure, Brad. Is it though? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, as our buddy Casey always says, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. And that's